the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? You lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold the Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, welcome to live radio, folks. We're having some uh, difficulty with the phone and connecting with the people we had scheduled to be uh, live on the show today. Um, so I guess we're just going to move on to another uh, pre-recorded interview. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to turn our attention to... Uh, uh, a, uh, a historical event and a new book that talks about the Lincoln assassination, John Wilkes Booth, and white supremacy. The book is called America's Original Sin by John Roadhamel, who joins me by phone. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. I'm glad to be here. Um, let's th- talk about this for a minute because we always... Uh, um, hear about that that famous moment when booth leapt to the stage and yelled out death to tyrants or or i can't remember the exact phrase but but we we think of this as being sort of the last act of the civil war and not really part of any ongoing uh um 
philosophy of white supremacy. And and you look at that part of it, the reasons behind the the uh, assassination of Abraham Lincoln that day in April, um, and the conspiracy in a uh, in a very different light in your book. Um, what what kinds of things drew you to that? What kind of research did you have to do to uh, be able to make that statement? Well, I've been studying Booth and the Lincoln assassination actually for uh, for more years than John Wilkes Booth was alive. He died at 26. Um, and uh, I published a um, collection of his writings about 25 years ago. So I have been watching it since then and thinking about how I might make another contribution. It's There's a tendency in... American culture, I think, to try to dismiss assassins, presidential assassins, as madmen or or people that are deranged in some way who don't act for a clear political purpose. And that's been true about the way we remember John Wilkes Booth. He's often described as either a crazy person or a drunk who didn't act his 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 murder of Lincoln has been regarded as sort of a bolt out of the pathological uh, blue that had no political meaning, and that that is completely untrue. It's clear that he was devoted to white supremacist ideology. He said so constantly, and in my book, which is in a sense a dual biography of Abraham Lincoln and John Wilkes Booth, we can see how as Lincoln moved rather slowly toward emancipation and black civil rights. Booth became more and more angry and distraught. And, of course, the South was losing, had lost the Civil War, so that upset him a great deal, too. What upset him the most about Southern defeat was the prospect of the white supremacist edifice being turned on its head. Uh, and he was very explicit about this, and I don't think any other writer on the assassination in the past has really considered this, that white supremacy was his principal motivation. There have been uh, other writers who have talked about the conspiracy to kill Abraham Lincoln, but that was a conspiracy that was in the planning stages for a year. Was there any connection between that conspiracy, which didn't just include Abraham Lincoln, um, but um, some of his uh, cabinet as well. Mm -hmm. Was there any connection between that conspiracy and the attempt earlier to kidnap Abraham Lincoln? Well, there was, uh, yes, there were several conspiracies organized by the Confederacy to uh, kidnap Lincoln. And I think or capture him. It, it would have been a legitimate act of war to capture the head of state of a of a hostile power. But uh, what is often not considered is that any attempt to capture Lincoln could easily have led to Lincoln's death. There could have been a shootout. Another thing people may not remember or may not know is Abraham Lincoln was prodigiously strong. He was 6'4". He was a very strong man. Well, and yeah, he used he would... to split logs and, and wrestle and... and uh, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, he was a he was an undefeated brawler of the of the frontier. Uh, but anyway, there were John Wilkes Booth initially conspired to to capture Lincoln. At least that's what he told his co-conspirators. He may have always had assassination as uppermost in his mind, but there were at least three other. Uh, independent conspiracies, some of which were run directly by the Confederate government, by Jefferson Davis. It's an interesting question. We we don't know how involved with the Confederate government Booth was, but two of his co-conspirators were spies that worked for the Confederate Secret Service Bureau. So there was some connection there. I don't think Booth was taking direct orders from the Confederate government in Richmond, but he was carrying out the wishes of that government. Was he the uh, um, the leader of this group, or did he just rise to prominence because he was the one who took out the president? No, he was the leader, and he organized this group on his own. He uh, conspired with Confederate agents in, in Montreal, he apparently got money from the Confederate Secret Service Bureau, but uh, and and one of his most important co-conspirators, John Surratt, was a Southern spy and helped him to assemble his group. But he was independent. He was doing this, and he was very much the leader. He brought the others into it. Was Samuel Mudd one of the conspirators? I've heard different yeah yeah well you know his name is mud uh mud samuel mud was very much one of the conspirators and of course ever since his family has run this campaign to prove his innocence but he was by no means innocent i I had one of them i had one of them on the show back in uh, 2014 um for the what was it yeah 150th anniversary uh I think it was his um, great-grandson, maybe? Probably. Did he say that his ancestor was innocent? Oh, of course. Yeah. And they were looking to get him pardoned. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, He was not innocent. He was very much a, uh, a member of the conspiracy. And naturally, because his neck was at stake, he lied like hell when the detectives came to him. He admitted that he had set Booth's leg. Uh, Booth's leg was broken, of course. He admitted that he gave Booth medical treatment, but he said he didn't know who Booth was, he hadn't met him before, and that he didn't know Booth had just killed Lincoln. And none of that is true. Mudd was found guilty by a military commission and sentenced not to death. Uh, Four of the other conspirators were sentenced to death and were hanged. Uh, Mudd deserved hanging just as much as they did, but he got life imprisonment. And then he only served four years of that. He was pardoned by President Andrew Johnson. But uh, uh, don't don't listen to the family on that. They're not uh, objective. Yeah, and, and wasn't his early release um, tied in some way to his work treating people? Um, yes, uh, yes, exactly. During some <laughs> epidemic. You're exactly right. It was yellow fever, That's and right. he did he did come forward and treat other prisoners for yellow fever. Uh, of course, they thought 
that was a brave act because they thought yellow fever was contagious, but in point of fact, it's not contagious. You only get it from a mosquito bite. You can't catch it from a sick person. But that's part of the reason he was uh, pardoned by President Johnson. Um, one of the other prisoners, one of the other co-conspirators, Samuel O'Laughlin, who was uh, also sentenced to life imprisonment, died in that yellow fever uh, uh, epidemic and in a federal prison. And, and I'm, I'm just trying to remember, it's been a while since I've looked at, at this uh, event in history, but wasn't there a woman hanged? There was. Uh, Mary Surratt, who ran a boarding house in Washington, D.C., and whose son was a Confederate agent, uh, she was she was hanged. She was sentenced to death by the military commission that tried the conspirators. Uh, they were tried not by uh, civil court, but by a uh, by a military commission because they were ruled to be enemy enemy combatants, sort of like the nine eleven prisoners today. And uh, the commission sentenced her to death, and she was clearly she was clearly uh, uh, guilty, but at that time, you you really didn't execute women. And with their condemnation of death, they sent a, uh, a recommendation to the president, who was Andrew Johnson, that she be pardoned, that the sentence be commuted to life imprisonment. And Johnson refused to do that. So it was the first time the United States government had ever executed a woman, you know, a female, a lady. Yeah. It was unheard of. And to this day, many people have a great deal of sympathy for her and feel she was innocent and she shouldn't have been hanged and so forth. Um, she was certainly guilty. I guess she was less guilty than some people. Um, if she hanged, Samuel Mudd certainly should have hanged, but uh, or hung, I'm not sure what the verb is. <laughs> but what is it, you know? Um, she should have been hung. Okay. Or, or okay. mud should have been hung, I, I think. I'm... Yeah. So it, there was something of a scandal, and she's had her uh, defenders down through the years. There was a book published called The Judicial Murder of Mary Surratt. Um, but in point of fact, while we may be sympathetic toward her, uh, um, because she was so wretched. She had to be carried up the stairs to the gallows. She was in terrible shape. She was, uh, she was too weak to walk. She was, she was suffering from some kind of female complaint that led to massive bleeding. And uh, they put her in a chair instead of having her stand with the noose around her neck. It, it, she's, she's a sympathetic figure in that sense. But it wasn't a miscarriage of justice. She was guilty. She knew what they were up to, and and, and she participated. And maybe harbored people in in her boarding house or something. She did indeed. Uh, several of the conspirators lived there. It was a Confederate safe house in the national capital. More about the Lincoln assassination and John Wilkes Booth and white supremacy from the author of America's Original Sin, John Roadhamel. Straight ahead.
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place 
with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hi this is deb cherry genesee county treasurer and you're listening to the tom sumner radio show More about the Lincoln assassination and John Wilkes Booth and white supremacy from the author of America's Original Sin, John Roadhamel, straight ahead. I want to get back to this idea of white supremacy because this was 75 years before the Nazis and um, was this purely anti-black or or would they... Or would they have been uh, against Jews and, and immigrants and, and other things as well? Uh, Booth was very bitterly prejudiced against immigrants, who at that time tended to be Irish and German. Uh, they were different than the native stock of America. Americans, they tended to be Catholic, and some of them didn't speak English. And most of those people, when they immigrated, they came to the north, not to the south. And many of them joined the Union Army during the war. So he was very bitterly prejudiced against uh, Irish and German immigrants. I've never encountered anything anti-Semitic in any of Booth's writings or so forth. But uh, you mentioned the Nazis. It's interesting that uh, I I quote him in, in my book that Adolf Hitler himself lamented that the South had lost the Civil War. Uh, he, he, he very much supported the Southern Rebellion because it was a, a white supremacist movement, and it was setting out to create a white supremacist nation founded on slavery. And, uh, uh, of course... And it said that yeah. the, the, the Queen of England um, took an interest in the South during that conflict, and was that purely economic? I, I think it was partially it was partially economic, but I think it was it was more ideological. I think the British upper classes, the aristocrats, saw the democratic experiment in the United States as something that was going to bring down their regime, which eventually American influence did. And I think they would have welcomed the dismemberment of the Great Republic. The United States was the only significant democratic nation in the world. The United States in 1776 had rejected, explicitly rejected monarchy and aristocracy. The Constitution says there'll be no titles of nobility. I think that the British upper class sympathized with the South because they saw the South as being on their side as being reactionary and uh, pro-aristocratic. Well, and this was only, what, four score and seven years after the, the revolution? Um, right. It, it, it hadn't been that long, so there probably uh, was still some residual uh, angst over being driven out of the colonies. Yeah, and there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of, hostility between the two nations. Uh, One popular genre at the time was British writers like uh, Dickens, who would come to America and then write very negative books about American culture. They 
not only resented that America had broken away during the revolution, but they saw uh, the American experiment in democracy as a direct threat to their aristocratic rule, which it was. Uh, eventually, uh, the democratic example uh, put monarchy and aristocracy on a, on a road to extinction. There still is a monarch in England, of course, and there's still an aristocracy, but they don't rule the country anymore. And I think that's largely because of the, the example of the American Republic. Were uh, these white supremacists that gathered to conspire to kill Lincoln and others in his administration, um, were they, did the Civil War give them uh, some sort of, of credibility to attack the uh, the Lincoln administration, and how did they find each other? Was there an organized group, or um, you know, obviously they didn't have social media in those days. How did they find each other? Well, Booth found most of his co-conspirators through the. Uh, Confederate Secret Service Bureau through their, their, that would be their CIA or whatever you'd call it. Uh, John Surratt was Booth's right-hand man in the conspiracy, and he was uh, explicitly a Confederate spy, and he helped Booth recruit most of his people. So there was also a nest of spies and subversives in Canada in exile who were conspiring against the United States, and Booth worked with them, too. Uh, so it was through the Confederate underground. But there were, there were millions of Americans in the North as well as the South who hated Lincoln, believed he was a malignant tyrant who was going to overthrow the American democracy and set up some kind of African autocracy. They thought that Lincoln was favoring black people at the expense of white people. And so they were fighting not only for Confederate nationhood, but for white supremacy. And as I say, there were many people in the North that felt it. There were, there were, there were millions of American men in 1865 that thought Lincoln would be dead, there was, should be dead. But there was only one, John Wilkes Booth, who actually went ahead and shot him. Lincoln, Lincoln was the, uh, we know Lincoln as a sort of secular saint, as this great martyr statesman, but at the time, uh, Lincoln was the most controversial and the most detested president in American history. Well, and, and some biographers have, have pointed to he was... Quite a bit more Machiavellian than we remember him. Well, he wanted to win the war, and he was pretty single-minded about that. Uh, yes, he. We 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 are often told about Lincoln's merciful side, how he pardoned sleeping sentinels who were sentenced to death. Uh, he gave clemency to confederates sometimes but in terms of winning the war he was uh quite determined and quite uh uh cold about it he did what he thought would would 
would bring victory. Including freeing the slaves, some would argue. Yes, uh, he he always hated slavery, but when he got around to the point of an Emancipation Proclamation, he presented it to the people as a, as a war-winning uh, uh, measure. It wasn't for the benefit of the slaves; it was def- to defeat the Confederacy. And and he did not go out of his way to express a lot of sympathy for slaves simply because he knew there was so much anti-black prejudice in his own country, in the North as well, that he always framed emancipation as a military option, not as some kind of humanitarian crusade. But at the same time, Lincoln did, throughout his life, hated slavery. And this he just had an opportunity now, because of the war, to do away with it. Uh, The Southerners, when Lincoln was elected in 1860, they reacted with incandescent rage. They were just infuriated that an anti-slavery man had been elected president. And that's why they seceded, succeeded, seceded. I'm having trouble with that. But uh, (laughs) I think if they had stayed in the Union and not seceded, slavery would have survived for years, might have survived into the 20th century. It was their leaving the Union and touching off the war that brought about the end of slavery. Lincoln himself said that. He said, if those people across the river hadn't done what they could have done, I never could have freed the slaves. Interesting. Um, the, the title of the book, John, you called it America's Original Sin, and I've seen that phrase used to describe slavery and uh, America's treatment of indigenous people. Um, How do you mean it for the purpose of this book? Are you talking about white supremacy itself, the Lincoln assassination, slavery? Why, Why that title? I'm talking about white supremacy and slavery, and actually no less a figure, I, I, I quote this, no less a figure than James Madison, the so-called father of the Constitution, referred to slavery as America's original sin. And uh, uh, various people like George Mason at the Constitutional Convention in 1787 said explicitly, if we don't do something about slavery, God is going to punish this nation. And, of course, that's what Lincoln said in his second inaugural. Remember, he said, fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the bondsmen's 250 years of unrequited toil shall, all the wealth piled up by the bondsmen's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and every drop of blood drawn by the lash shall be drawn by another, shall be paid by another drawn by the sword, so must we say, as it was said 3,000 years ago, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And I, I apologize for quoting that at such length, but it, it encapsulates the whole thing. Uh, Lincoln was saying, and many other people were saying, that this vast civil war, which killed 750,000 Americans out of a population of only about 30 million, that this vast civil war was God's punishment for the sin of American slavery. 
are there um are, are there comparisons to be made between contemporary white supremacists and the white supremacists who conspired to kill Lincoln and others yes i think it's uh, i think it's the same ideology fortunately uh it's much less widespread today at the time white supremacy was not an extremist radical uh belief system but it was it was pretty conventional uh scientists clergymen journalists politicians all of them tended to believe that black people were in, were inherently inferior to white people and of course there's still people who believe that but today they're a minority and they are extremists and most most Americans abhor them I think I hope and and that that um that widespread support for the idea of white supremacy was universal in the North and South? I wouldn't say universal. Universal is the wrong word, John, but but widespread. Pervasive, widespread. Abolitionists who wanted the uh, immediate uh, end of slavery and who advocated equal rights were a minority. They didn't command... They were less than five percent of the voting public. I think they were a small minority. Most people were. With most people were in the North were willing to let it let slavery continue in the South. How well known was Lincoln's uh, anti-slavery sentiment known in the election of uh, eighteen sixty? Well. It was known that he he abhorred slavery, and that was known. He made that pretty clear in the Lincoln-Douglas debates in 1858, two years before he ran for slavery. Uh, Those debates, the transcripts of those debates, have been widely published. And Lincoln made it very clear that he hated slavery, that he thought it was evil, that he thought it was a stain on the republic, that it was a repudiation of the greatest ideals of 1776. He made all those things very clear, but at the same time, he said, I, as a, as a politician, have no intention of moving against slavery in the states where it exists. He, wanted, he hoped slavery would, would be confined to the slave states. It would not expand into the West, and that gradually it would die out. And he even said in 1858 that he would be satisfied if slavery persisted for another hundred years, so long as everyone understood that it was on a course of, quote, gradual extinction, close quote. So uh, he was, if, if you take that literally, that, that implies slavery surviving into the Eisenhower administration, for God's sake. Uh, he was a moderate on slavery. It was the war that made Lincoln, an abolitionist, and made most of the North abolitionists. The book is uh, called America's Original Sin, White Supremacy, John Wilkes Booth, and the Lincoln Assassination by John Roadhamel, who uh, is my guest this hour. Uh, John, we, we just have a couple of minutes left, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we're 
talking about now obviously the book is uh, a great place to start and it's being released on uh, uh, it's uh, been released on September 7th 2021 uh, just just came out this month um, but uh, is there are there some resources or, or websites or places that you might recommend people who uh, want to know more about what we're talking about could go to look? Uh, yeah, I'd recommend uh, Ford's Theater. Ford's Theater, of course, is the spot where Lincoln, the theater where Lincoln was assassinated, and it's now a National Park Service historic site, and they have a lot of online material about the assassination about the conspirators, about Lincoln himself. Uh, that's a good source. Uh, a, good, uh, a good rundown on my book is available on Amazon.com. There are, uh, if, you, if you go to that site under my name, John Roadhamble, you'll find the book with the other books I've written. And uh, it it reproduces the uh, uh, dust jacket copy, the synopsis of the book, and a bio of me, and uh, various endorsements from scholars about about the book. Uh, it sells for twenty seven ninety five. John, about, what's what's next for you? Uh, I'm not working on anything right now. I think I may do a book on the. Uh, Newburgh Conspiracy of 1783. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a George Washington scholar more than a Lincoln assassination person. Uh, in, in 1783, the, uh, the revolution was over, but the army hadn't been, the, the Continental Army hadn't been disbanded, and the officers hadn't been paid in years. And they talked about a rebellion. They were going to march on Philadelphia and overthrow Congress and possibly set up a military dictatorship. And Washington very adroitly squelched that and, and put that down. I'm not sure there hasn't really been a good book on it, but I'm thinking about that. Have any books, um, and there have been so many books about the Lincoln assassination, is is, is yours uh, the first book, America's Original Sin, to delve into um, John Wilkes Booth's uh, white supremacy uh, beginnings and, and pinnings that, that led to the actions he took? Yes, I'd say it was. Uh, it's no surprise to say that John Wilkes Booth was a white supremacist, but none of the former writers on the assassination have emphasized that or analyzed what it really meant. And uh, my book, I think, there have been some very good books on the assassination. Uh, Blood on the Moon by, by Edward Steers Jr. is very good. But they tend to be detective stories about the murder itself. Mine is kind of a dual biography of Abraham Lincoln and John Wilkes Booth at the same time. I think I also put the assassination much more into the context of the Civil War era, military and political, than some of the other treatments, which focus on the conspiracy and uh, on the capture of the conspirators and uh, the trial and so forth. What, I do very little with the aftermath. What about the other uh, the other targets 
that night, April 14th, was it? Well, it, it was, yeah, the eight, night of April 18, 1865. 1865. And, of course, Lincoln was shot about 1030 on April 14th and lived until 722 the next morning. So he died on April 15th. But at exactly the same time that Lincoln was being shot in the theater, uh, Lewis Thornton Powell, one of uh, Booth's co-conspirators and a Confederate spy, uh, tried to assassinate Secretary of State William Seward at his home. And he injured Seward and four other men very badly with a knife, but didn't manage to kill Seward. Booth also dispatched two people to kill Vice President Andrew Johnson. He also uh, tried to kill U.S. Grant. That was unsuccessful. And he probably sent one, someone to kill War Secretary Edwin Stanton. So if this had all come off as planned, he, he, at that time, presidential succession went Vice President, Secretary of State. Now it goes to the Speaker of the House as the third person. But what Booth was doing, was trying to do, was decapitate the whole federal government. And he thought that the confusion might give the South a chance to, to, to uh, recover from defeat. But the only one that died was Lincoln. And were the other conspirators as rooted in white supremacy, or did some of them have a different motive for participating in the conspiracy, you know, related to the war? Well, they they were devoted to Confederate victory, and Powell, who who tried to assassinate Seward, had been a Confederate soldier during a lot of the combat, but they were all all white supremacists. They all used the N-word. They all talked about killing Lincoln because he was a friend of blacks. They were all white supremacists, yes. Well, it's uh, it's a fascinating look at, at a story we're all familiar with. It's uh, The book is called America's Original Sin, White Supremacy, John Wilkes Booth and the Lincoln Assassination, written by John Roadhamel and uh, published in uh, September of 2021. John, thanks so much for spending this time with me. It's a it's a fascinating story and... and uh, some interesting, uh, it's, it's, it's almost breaking news, maybe, for some. In a way, in a way. Thank <laughs> you very much, Tom. Well, take care, John, and, and keep up the good work. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. All right. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Once again, John Roadhamel, author of America's Original Sin. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <laughs>
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, Bob Newhart. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, many of you may have read The Hidden Persuaders. It's about advertising. And one of the points the book made was that the real danger of the public relations man or the advertising man was that they were creating images. And they felt that in the presidential campaigns, the candidates were really getting closer and closer together. There was no real difference between them. And you were really voting for the man. And this got me to thinking, supposing this science were as far advanced during the Civil War as it is today, and there was no Lincoln. Now the advertising people realizing this would have had to create a Lincoln. And I think they would have gone about it something like this. This is a telephone conversation between Abe and his press agent just before Gettysburg. Hi, Abe, sweetheart, how are you, Jay? <laughs> I, 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 I was getting burnt. Sort of a drag, huh? <laughs> well, Abe, you know them small Pennsylvania towns. <laughs> you seen one, you seen them all. <laughs> right. Uh, listen, Abe, I got to know it. What, what, what's the problem? You're, you're, you're thinking of shaving it off. Uh, Abe, uh, don't you see that's part of the image? Right, with the, with the shawl and the stovepipe at the string tie. You, you don't have the shawl. Uh, where's the shawl, Abe? You, you left it in Washington. Uh, uh, what are you wearing, Abe? A sort of cardigan? Abe, uh, don't you see that doesn't fit with, with the, with the uh, string tie and the beard? Abe, would you, would you leave the beard on? and get the shawl, huh? All right, what, now what's this about Grant? You're, you're getting a lot of complaints on Grant's drinking, huh? Uh, Abe, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, I don't see the problem. I mean, you, you knew he was a lush when you pointed him, you see that? You're gag writers. Yeah, you're gag writers here. You, you want to come back with something funny, huh? Maybe an anecdote about a town drunk. Well, I can't promise anything, Abe. I, I, I'll get him working on it. All right, Abe, you got the speech. Abe, you haven't changed the speech, have you? Uh, Abe, what do you change the speeches for? <laughs> a, couple, a couple minor changes, I'll, I'll, I'll bet. All right, all right, all right, what are they? You what? You, you typed it. <laughs> Abe, uh, how many times have we told you on the backs of envelopes? <laughs> I, I understand it's harder to read that way, Abe, but it, it looks like you wrote it on the train coming down. Or something like that. <laughs> Abe, could you do this? Could you memorize it and then put it on the backs of the envelopes? <laughs> We're getting a lot of play in the press on that. How are the envelopes holding out? <laughs> you, you could stand another box. All right, I'll, 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 I'll what else, Abe? 
you change you change four score and seven to to eighty seven. <laughs> I, I understand it's not the same thing. Well, Abe, that's meant to be a grabber. Abe, uh, we test marketed that in Erie, and they went out of their minds. About it. So, trust. Well, Abe, it's sort of it's sort of like Mark Anthony saying, uh, uh, "Friends, Romans, countrymen, I've got something I want to tell you." You see, you see what I mean, Abe? What else? People will little note nor long remember. And what could possibly be wrong with that? They'll remember it. Hey, they'll remember it. It's the old humble bit. You can't say it's a great speech. I think everybody's going to remember it, Abe. You come off a braggart, don't you see that? Hey, Abe, do the speech the way Charlie wrote it, would you? The inaugural address swung, didn't it? All right, and, and, and any, anything else? You, you talk to some newspaper men. Uh, Abe, I wish you wouldn't talk to newspaper men. Well, you always put your foot in. No, that's just what I mean, Abe. No, 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 no. You are a rail splitter, then an attorney. <laughs> uh, Abe, it, do, it doesn't make any sense that way. I mean, you wouldn't give up your law practice to become a rail splitter, don't you? Would you read the biography? Abe? You'll save a lot of trouble on this end. Uh, Abe, Abe, listen, before I forget, um, um, the manufacturer is, is coming out with the Abe Lincoln t-shirt uh, on Tuesday. Uh, could, could you work that into the address somewhere, Abe? Uh, play it by ear, what, what, whatever you can do. Uh, Abe, you, have you got a pencil and paper there? Would you take this down? You can fool all of the people some of the time, and some of the people, all of the time. But you can't fool all the people, all the time. Well, you keep doing it differently. <laughs> but the last quote I got was, you can fool all the people all the time. And you're... Abe, Abe, hold on, hold on. Uh, they come up with a thing on Grant. Oh, right, right. Good, good, yeah, all oh, beautiful. Hey, listen to this. this is, they got a beautiful squelch on Grant, right? The next time they bug you about Grant's drinking, right, you tell them you're going to find out what brand he drinks and send a case of it to all your other generals. <laughs> right. uh, no, no, it's, it's uh, like, like the brand uh, was the reason he won. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hey. Uh, uh, Abe, uh, use it, it's funny. But, uh, trust me, Mr. Uh, uh, Saturday night? Oh, Abe, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in New York Saturday night. Uh, a bridge party at the White House? Oh, uh, Abe, I'd, I'd love to make it. Uh, how about Seward, you try him? He, he'll be out of town too, huh? Oh, that's, that's a, you, you, you and, you and uh, what's your name, be home alone? Mary, be home alone. Huh? Listen, Abe, uh, why don't you take in a play? I'll, I'll be talking to you. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
One thing about this world you can't depend on anything The leaders that we follow, they can't even write their name But here we are in America Ain't it just a shame how it goes on and on Our children going hungry, teens are turned to crime And politicians know it's true but they ain't got no time down in America, nothing seems to change, it just goes on and on and on. But there may be people who truly do care, they may be mighty but still they lack the key. I pray that someday these people will finally declare, not even heroes can do it all Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.